We are in part six of our Empowered Church series, walking line by line through the book of Acts. And if you are brand new and joining us, man, not only are we excited that you're here, I'm going to bring you up to speed. You're like, oh, it's part six. I missed it. This is going to be all year long. All right? So whatever your hopes were, lower those, okay? Praise God. It's going to be a long series, so anyone that comes in is going to be in the middle. I'm going to bring you up to speed, and it'll feel like you've been here the entire time, all right? So as I'm drawing your attention to the fill in the blank, I want to share a couple thoughts. Have you ever heard this verse, your life is not your own, it was bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. It's a, it's a famous verse, and the whole idea is that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for you. And if he paid the price for you, then it is not just about you. Your body is not just yours alone, but we are called to be a living sacrifice. So let me adjust that and dial it in a little bit. Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your mouth. I'm going to talk about the power of words in the year of power, right? Because we're talking about the fact that words have the power to raise up and tear down. The key thing, though, is for a Christian, whatever you say, come out of the lips of Christ. And we need to take that super seriously. You guys realize we're Christians all the time, right? We are not able to compartmentalize and say that we're Christians some of the time. We do not wear a little Christian lanyard badge that we get to take off whenever we want, right? Oh, man, I got it on for church. Oh, I have it off for the club, right? Uh-huh. Oh, I got it on where I'm my Christian friends. I take it off around my non-Christian friends. Who you are, you are. The very concept of integrity means that we are the same throughout, Best analogy for integrity is a dam. Imagine if a dam holding back water was made of bricks, and I told you as you were standing on the dry side, I'm pretty sure most of those are solid. <laughs> Would that give you any confidence? Of course not, because you, you realize the pressure will hit towards what? The weak point, and as soon as it bursts out there, it will cause undue pressure and unbalance on the rest of it, and the entire thing will collapse. Integrity means you are who you are all the time. So we don't get to say, you know what, I feel like a Christian right now, but I've been through seasons where I'm just kind of ditching that stuff. Or man, I feel like on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm a believer. Thursday and Friday, man, in that traffic, I can't be a believer. You understand what I'm talking about? Got to be real careful on that kind of stuff, right? Now, I got to caution a couple uh, uh, personalities here. There are some of us in this room that we use the phrase, I'm just being honest. Okay, uh, I need you to stop doing that, okay? Because you're not just being honest, you're just being a jerk, okay? So this whole business where suddenly you can now say whatever you want because you're just being on it, would Jesus say it or not? If Jesus would say it, you can say it. If Jesus wouldn't say it, you don't get to say it, right? We have to sift this stuff. Another thing that we should stop saying is, well, this is just my opinion. Because here's what's interesting. Although that is true, and I appreciate you trying to give us clarity, people cannot separate your opinion many times from the fact that you're a Christian, so they're going to take all of your opinions and put them on the Lord. So whatever you're sharing, and I'm talking about social media, I'm talking about in conversations, I'm talking about in arguments, people will attach whatever comes out of your lips to the Lord that you say you serve. Now, I got to tell you, there's times that I've been in 
disagreements with people that I love and I've said stuff that I wish I wouldn't have. You know what I'm talking about? And I wish that certain pieces of Jesus, actually all of him, would be a bit more instinctual, right? Because a lot of my life, I think in order to do the right thing, I have to kind of think through it, right? I have to use what's called self-control. I actually have to process through it. So for example, somebody says, says something super offensive, my reaction is to get defensive. And then I have to process through and go, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't just react however you want. You can't just lash back out. You can't just do, and I have to go through a process in order to get to a place where I'm responding like Jesus. How beautiful would it be if that was my natural response was like Christ. And so what we need to do is be able to get our head knowledge, not only to drip down into our heart, but to drip down into our instincts. And I know that some of the heart of God has got into me. So for example, maybe you feel this way. If I ever see a child being harmed, I'm instantly in defense mode. I don't have to think through it. I don't have to process it. What would be the right thing to do here? I'm instantly, and I believe that's heart of God stuff. I'm instantly going to jump into defense mode. Okay, why? Because somehow something trickled down into my instinct that I didn't have to think about it. How beautiful would it be is if so much of Jesus's nature was like that, that you didn't have to force yourself to do something. It was just who you are. And I think that's what we're all trying to chase after, right? That's the kind of maturity that we want to have. When it comes down to words and we are trying to filter and sift what is coming out of our lips, just remember this. It's a fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. We don't get to say whatever we want. We don't get to say whatever we want. We get to say whatever the Lord would say. That's important. All right, as I said, if you haven't already turned there, turn with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 1, page 911, 912. Uh, If you're just joining us, last time we were together, we were talking about an extraordinary miracle. Two of Jesus' big dogs, some of his best friends, his followers, Peter and John, were going to the temple one day, and they passed this guy, they passed about a million times. He's a guy that was paralyzed from birth, never had walked. And he was at a certain gate to get into the temple and he was asking for money. He's a beggar by lifestyle. So as they go by, Peter, for whatever reason, and we don't know why, somehow he was tracking on what the Lord was doing. He says, hey, John, hold up a second. I think we need to heal this guy. He's like, all right, let's go. The guy said, hey, do you got money for me? He said, Actually, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Pulls the guy up, boom, his ankles and feet became strong. He's not only able to balance, he's walking, leaping, and praising God. It's this radical, crazy miracle. This guy starts going ballistic in the temple. Everyone's like, dude, you might need to hold it down. And he is just like, whoa, God is good. God is good, right? Like this guy just got healed and he's never walked. This changed his entire life. And he's so loud that it's grabbing this massive crowd. I'm talking about like thousands of people are beginning to gather around. And and Peter is like, man, I'm not missing this opportunity. He starts preaching. 
He's like, Jewish brothers and sisters, you gotta listen to me. Of all people, we're supposed to be the light of the world. We're supposed to be the ones that usher in the Messiah. And yet we have killed the author of life. We gotta change right here, right now. We gotta repent for the things that we've done. And he starts leading a revival. And it's this intense, amazing movement, right? Now, when we read stuff like this, you do understand the Bible is not like the Chronicles of Narnia right? Like it's real. It's history. It's not through a wardrobe, right? Is that correct? Right? Mr. Tumnus hangs out with Jesus, stuff like that, right? Okay. This is for real. And you're like, well, I don't know if God really does stuff like that. First of all, yeah, God really did stuff like that. And God really does stuff like that. Have you read the back of your bulletin? See, this is a testimony. These are testimonies that pop up right out, right here at Bridgeway. This is not far away. This is one of our family members. This is one of our teams. What I'm saying is that from last week, we have all sorts of you that started telling your story, telling your story, telling your story. There are miracles happening in our midst. This is not make-believe. This is legit. So sure enough, we look at it and we go, wow, this is blowing my mind. What do I need to learn from this? So sure enough, Peter's preaching. It's this crazy cool revival. And last time we paused right in the middle of it. We're picking that story up right now. Okay, let's go ahead and do that. Acts chapter four, verse one. And as Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men alone came to about 5,000. Okay, last time we checked in, the church was around 3,100 people. It's now 5,000. Okay, so we're talking about this group that they're talking to is massive because not all of them got saved, but a bunch of them got saved. And that, I'm not good at math. <laughs> I don't know, 1900 got saved? I can't really do this, all right? You guys can figure that one out on a paper. All right, so we have this major revival from this healing and this preaching. So let's back up and talk about this story for a second. There's some power pieces in here. First of all, let's get our characters straight. There's some bad guys. Now, how do we know they're bad guys? Because they come in and they arrest the disciples. And we're on the disciples' side, so we're like, yeah, of course, they're bad guys. So who are they? Well, it starts mentioning people like the priest, the captain of the temple guard, right, stuff like that. It starts talking about the Sadducees. Who are these people? All right, let's take in our minds, jump back in our imagination. Let's go back 2,000 years to ancient Israel. The temple was around. This is very, very important. If you go to Jerusalem today, the temple is not there. If you ever see any famous pictures of modern-day Jerusalem, up on a hill, that's Jerusalem, you'll see a gold-domed building. That is actually a mosque. That is not a Jewish synagogue. That is not the temple. As a matter of fact, it is on what's called the Temple Mount. All we have now is the foundation stones of this temple. Why? Because 40 years after this story, Rome got ticked off at the Jews and tore it down, and it's never existed since. But it was in this story. So 
This is the center of all religious Jewish activity. This is the center of their culture. This is where everybody can come together and share their culture. All right, who runs it? Well, this is the cast of characters you're about to meet. Priests and Levites work there. So priests were the ones that got to minister before God and their kind of helper guys are Levites. This is not a career choice you can choose. There was no job fair in the temple. Hey, have you ever thought about being a priest? There was none of that because why? It was all genetics. You had to come through your family line. You were born into it or you weren't. So if you came from one family line, you were able to be a priest. If you were in the tribe of Levi, you got to be a Levite temple helper. You can't switch from another tribe. You can't do any of that stuff. So those are the workers. If you have a bunch of priests, what do you call the big dog? The high priest. All right, cool. So he's kind of the big deal. But right next to him in power is the guy that runs the temple. He is the captain of the temple guard. He is a religious security guy, right? So he has a lot of influence because his job is to make sure the Jews always have access to the temple and nobody does anything stupid to get Rome's attention. You got to keep the peace. You got to get everybody to chill out. Make sense? All right. Now, one more group it introduced, the Sadducees. Because the priests were born into it, there was a lot of weird nepotism, right? Because it was family-based. So you would have a dad be high priest and he'd hand off to his son and then to his son-in-law. And we're going to meet all those guys here in a moment. But the priesthood, they kind of had two choices of which groups they wanted to be a part of. You had the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And those two guys actually didn't like each other. It was really much more about which crew did you want to be a part of based on how you saw the law of Moses. If you were more secular, if you wanted to go old school and say, keep it simple, you were a Sadducee. You didn't believe in a lot of the supernatural stuff. You were like, hey, first five books of the Bible, I don't need to get fancy. I just do my thing. I'm more like religious royalty. I like the power and influence. I like the cultural elements. I'm not really into the whole deep God thing. That was the Sadducees. That unfortunately was the high priesthood. They were involved in that too. The Pharisees on the other hand, they were the ones that said, it's not just about what God said, it's what God meant. And they started putting in all these rules and all these special little codes and things that you had to do. By the time they got done, there was about 660 of them. And that was all that tight following through. You can't do this. You got to do this. This is this. This is it. That was all the Pharisees. So those two crews did not get along. All right. Now, let's jump back into the story. Are they really bad guys? You're going to find out that they're going to put the disciples into jail overnight. They're going to pop them out in the morning, and they're going to assemble their supreme court called the Sanhedrin. It's going to involve the high priest, the former high priest, and all these people. It's the same group that not that long ago just killed Jesus. They were the ones that condemned him and handed him over to the Romans to crucify, humiliated, naked, hanging on a cross. And you're like, well then, pastor, I guess you already answered your own question. Of course they're bad guys, 
right? They killed Jesus. All right, I agree with you. Here's my problem. They're us. So whatever you say about them, you just need to do a little looking in the mirror, right? Here's why. In their mind, they are serving God. In their mind, they're trying to get rid of heretics. In their mind, they're trying to keep order in the church. In their mind, they're trying to keep doctrine pure. In their mind, they're the good guys. Are those not all the same reasons why you are so critical of that other Christian denomination? Is it not why you're so harsh on other Christians? Because why? Well, I'm just the good guy. God's on my side. I don't believe that they're right. I don't believe their doctrine is legit. I don't believe, you're, these are all the same things you just said. And you were really mean to Christians of another type. Okay, so you might be these guys. How do you know if you're on the good side or the bad side? Have you played this scenario out in your mind? Would you have been on the disciple side or the Pharisee side if you were alive? You're like, well, I'd be on the disciple side. Hold on. You're raised up in the church. All of your training has said that the Messiah would come in and raise up an army to fight Rome because it's about time of prophecy to be fulfilled that the Jews would once again and Israel would rise. All right, that's what you've been told. Now, that is not what the Bible said, but it's what you've been trained in, okay? All of a sudden, the guy shows up. I'm the Messiah. Yeah, I don't think so. No, seriously, I am. Uh, no, seriously, you're not. Because I know what the Messiah should be, and you're not him. Well, I think you're reading it wrong. Well, I think you're reading it wrong. Would you have been those people? Just think about it honestly. If somebody walked in right now and said they were from the Lord, you're kind of like, I don't know. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. If you're skeptical, you're probably going to be on the Pharisee side. You understand what I'm talking about? So I'm not saying that they're terrible people. I'm saying they were misinformed and they were misaligned because they thought they had the idea of truth, but they didn't. So we now have a challenge. Are we those types of people? All right, let's keep moving forward. It says, and they came Greatly annoyed, love this line, right? This is one I have seen in my marriage. You understand what I'm talking about? Like I underlined it and I was like, babe, it's biblical. That's all I'm trying to say. If you are greatly annoyed, I apologize, but it's biblical, okay. Why are they greatly annoyed? Two problems. Number one, they have a doctrinal problem. What's the doctrinal problem? The disciples just taught resurrection. Who doesn't believe in the resurrection? the Sadducees. So right off the bat, they're like, oh, shoot. Now we got a bunch of those Pharisees people running around again. I hate when they get their side communicated, right? So right off the bat, they're like, we need to shut this down. I'm tired of getting into all the supernatural stuff. We got to mellow out. So they don't like it right off the bat. But their bigger problem is what? Oh, no, it's the Christians again, right? I thought we killed their leader, we got rid of them. Here they go, like whack-a-mole, they keep popping up. No matter how many times we try to shut them down, they keep showing back up. And if these guys start taking root, it's going to cause a massive problem. Not just with Rome, we are now having to try to corral and say that wasn't the Messiah. So this is going to get out of hand. 
That's why they're super upset. All right, so they all come in hot. They arrest Peter and John and put them overnight in temple jail. Okay, hold up. (laughs) Temple jail does not sound very scary. You know what I'm talking about? It sounds like Disneyland jail. (laughs) Do you guys know Disneyland jail exists? It actually does. And you know how I know that? Because I cannot either confirm nor deny that one of our former elders went there as a teenager. I know it's real and it's legit. Now I would have assumed that Disneyland jail would have had like rubber bars, right? And you're like, this is not secure, right? Here's what I want, Bridgeway jail. This would be awesome. We have a basement. You understand what I'm talking about? And I would be like, if you mouth off, I'd be like, I will deal with you later, right? And I send you to Bridgeway jail overnight. Right? We only serve hot pockets and talkies. Right? And then in the morning, I'm like, when I am fresh, I will deal with you. You know what I mean? That would be sweet. Nobody else agrees with me. But I, I think that's fascinating. That's a great idea. We're working on it. All right. Now, many people got saved, right? This radical, thousands of people are getting saved. And you go, well, hold on. So lots of people got saved. God's totally moving. There's a revival, but the apostles are like in jail and like bad stuff is happening and the bad guys are winning and they're in charge and welcome to front row ministry. That's how it always goes. What do I mean? In every revival in history, it has been a mess. Depends on who you read, whether it was legit or not, right? Even in the Great Awakening, something that we all call a historic revival in America. If you read one side, they say it was all garbage, all demonic, all bogus, and it didn't do anything. You read the other side, and they say it's the most amazing thing in the world. Everybody got saved, and it was the greatest thing to ever hit our nation. So what's true? What's the answer? It's Yes. Why? Because anytime there is a mighty move of God, you have three power players involved. You have God doing his work, right? You have Satan who saw his flyer on the telephone pole and showed up. Then you have people. People are flat out a mess. They are all over the place. And so you're looking and you're like, I don't know if that's legit. You might be right. They don't even know if it's legit, right? Because you got all kinds of stuff happening. You got confusion happening here. You got good stuff happening here. You got this person saved. You got this person totally lost. You got this person trying to ruin the entire event. And that's just how it goes. You're like, well, I just want it to be cleaner. Well, then get rid of the people. (laughs) And it would be much cleaner. You guys ever heard about this concept of being slain in the spirit? You guys ever heard this one? Then it's falling out in the spirit, however you want to talk about it. It's a thing where, like, you picture the guy on TV, right? He touches the person on the forehead, and they're like, ah, and they fall over, and you're like, whoa, that was crazy, right? Okay, that's called being slain in the spirit. Here's what's interesting about it. When you examine it up close and personal, it is super complicated. Because here's what everybody wants to do. They either want to go, oh, that's all bogus. Here's the problem. No, it's not. Then someone would go, oh, it's all legit. You go, "Mm, nope, actually it's not. And you're like, well, what's going on? People are involved. (laughs) 
That means it's super weird because half the time this person's doing it for attention. This person's doing it because it's totally legit. This person's really into the Lord. This person wants to be more into the Lord. This person is, I don't know, that's a flat out witch. What the heck? This one is suddenly, you don't understand what I'm talking about? Like there's so much mess. Why? Because do you really think God's going to do a mighty move and it's not going to stir up flesh or it's not going to create the enemy's attention? Come on. That's how it works. So you either have messy ministry or you have no ministry. That's all I'm telling you. It's just kind of how it goes. We'll talk about that stuff a little later in the year. Okay, so let's keep moving forward. It says this, verse five. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the former high priest, Caiaphas, the current high priest, his son-in-law, John, his real son, who's going to take over for Caiaphas in a little while, and then a dude named Alexander that no one knows or cares about, (laughs) except his mom, (laughs) and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, this is the Sanhedrin, they brought Peter and John back, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Okay, let's pause. Do what? heal that guy. They brought him back as a witness in the trial. So here is a guy that's standing there, literally standing there, who has never walked before. And they're like, okay, we got this crazy, legit miracle. We know it's a miracle. What happened? Okay, what's interesting is we tend to go, well, the Christians are the ones that believed in miracles, and then everybody else, the bad guys, don't. Incorrect. We're in Jewish territory. The Jews' whole history is based on what? Miracles. The burning bush. Their great guys are like Moses. The whole 10 plagues hitting Egypt, parting of the Red Sea. Their entire history is miraculous. They know the miraculous is legit and God does miracles. That's not an argument. The question is, whose power healed that guy? because they know there's other options. So they ask them, by whose name did you do this? Because here's what they're hoping they'll say. They're hoping they'll say something stupid. They're hoping they're gonna say, by the power of Thor. And you're like, okay, well, yeah, you're gone, dude. Like, I don't even need to argue with you anymore. I'm getting rid of you, right? Because you're clearly a heretic and that was easy. What they don't want them to say is, we did that by the power of Yahweh. Why? because that's their guy. They're like, please, please, please do not say that it's from God. Well, that's exactly what they're about to say. And it makes everything messier, because why? If you say you did it by God, and I say I do it by God, but we don't agree, what the heck do you do then? Who's right? Now, all of a sudden, you have all these problems in Christianity that we're looking at today, and that's the problem. You realize they're saying they're Christians, we're saying we're Christians, and we don't agree. So who's right? Now it's a family problem, right? You would like it better if they were in a completely different camp, but they're not. They're part of your family. Ah, that's really a problem, all right? So it says this, verse eight, and this is where the whole thing hinges on right here. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, 
if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom, by the way, you crucified, whom, by the way, God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. Okay, let's, let's pause. This is crazy. Peter, filled by the Holy Spirit, said, that is not what we expect. When we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit being filled with it, because being filled with the Holy Spirit literally means, and the Holy Spirit came upon him in supernatural power. So you're expecting something flashy to happen right? Because when we saw it and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they would burst out in tongues or they would do, you know, miracles or, you know, a mighty rushing wind would come in. We're used to that stuff. We think about the Old Testament, right? And Samson was walking along and a lion came out and then the power of the Holy Spirit came upon him and he ripped the lion apart with his bare hands. We think of that stuff. This one says, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said some stuff. And you were like, well, that's dumb. That's not very fancy. Are you sure? Because I think it is. As a matter of fact, what I'm about to describe to you, this idea of speaking for God, I'm going to suggest that it's been happening through you over and over and over, and you just didn't know it. Let me explain. It sounds cool, yes? Filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and then I speak on God's behalf. Well, that sounds pretty legit. What would that be like? Does it feel weird? Do you suddenly get a British accent? <laughs> right? Do you suddenly start growing facial hair into a goatee? Something like this, right? No, as a matter of fact, if you would have asked Peter in the moment, he would have said, no, 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 I was thinking the same way I always think, and I was talking the way I always talk. It's just kind of felt normal to me. So what was the difference? All right, let me give you a scenario. Anytime someone asks you a question, you answer from the library you have gathered. Okay, if I say to you, what is two plus two? Most all of you would say four. Now that means in your library, you have that answer right? But if I say, share with me the laws of thermodynamics, some of you would go, oh, I have that volume, and you say it to me. Some of the rest of you are like, yeah, you lost me. That's not in my library. When you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak on his behalf, guess what? He switches out his library for yours, and that's weird. In other words, you're going to watch Peter begin to pull from archives he doesn't have. He's going to start saying stuff and saying it in a way that he doesn't normally talk. And you were like, oh, something's going on. All right? So it's almost like when the Holy Spirit is talking through you, it's like you're at a press conference and people are asking you questions and the Holy Spirit like knocks you over. He's like, I have a couple things to say. Y'all paying attention? And then all of a sudden, he just starts going off on everybody, right? So here's what he says through Peter. Hey, if you guys are harassing us because we healed a dude, I thought we were all on the same team. 
I thought you guys wanted people healed and we wanted people healed. I thought you temple leaders were interested in people being restored. I find it very odd that he's been sitting at your gate for the last 30, 40 years and we roll into town and we fix the situation. Should you not be thanking us and giving us a high five, but no, you seem to have a problem with it and you're giving us heat because we helped somebody. I just think you might need to look at why you're challenging us. Number two, you want to know how this guy got healed? I'll be very clear with you. It was Jesus. Guess what the answer to all the other questions are? Jesus. It's always Jesus. We are not healing anybody. It is the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man is being healed. Which, by the way, while we're on the subject, you do realize that's the guy you literally killed. Not figuratively. This council condemned that guy and you killed the Messiah. Now, praise the Lord. He got back up again. Now, that is good news for me, and that sounds like bad news for you because you thought you got rid of him, and now he's back. As a matter of fact, when he shows back up, y'all need to talk because he is not okay with how that went down. <laughs> now, if you begin to see, this is the Holy Spirit going, I have a few things to say, right? And they're just blown away. Okay, so let's keep moving forward. Go to verse 11. Peter keeps going. Holy Spirit keeps going. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Okay, pause. Now Peter's pulling stuff way over his pay grade. Because here's what you just heard. That sounds so random to us, right? You're like, oh, he's a rock, and you're like a rock builder. And you're like, okay, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. He's... If you're talking with religious leaders who are steeped in the Old Testament, where's the best place to begin? The Old Testament. He's like, and you know as well as I do in Psalm 118:22, where it talks about God raising up that which has been cast aside. Psalm 118:22. Tell me if you've heard this one. That we, the Jewish people, believe that it was about us, and initially it was about us. We have been cast out, we have been degraded by the world, but God is going to raise us back up to power and authority by his side. But you know as well as I do that over the years, in the last thousand years that that was written, our rabbis have said that's a messianic prophecy, that the most important thing that God's ever going to do to raise up the Jewish nation is to do it through the Messiah. So it's talking about the Messiah. Here's the other thing, gentlemen. You know that our rabbis have also said that you, teachers of the law, are the builders. So let's put the dots together, everybody. The Messiah just showed up and you rejected him. And he's not just anybody, he's the cornerstone. What is wrong with you? Oh, wow, right? Then it says this, and, and the Holy Spirit's like, I'm not done. Stop it, Peter, I'm not done yet. And, and there is salvation in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And the Holy Spirit's like, I'm out. And he just throws the mic over and he, <laughs> Peter's like, I would like to apologize for the aggressiveness of the Holy Spirit. That was totally not me, right? Um, real quick question. Why is Jesus the only way? 
Because in today's world, it's kind of said like this. There's a bunch of options, and Christians are elitists, and they think they have the corner market on truth, and they are, their guy's the best guy. That's actually not correct. Why? Because there is no other religion that provides a savior. The Jews are still waiting for theirs. We're the only ones that said one showed up. As a matter of fact, if sin is a problem, you need to have a sin remover, right? So you have to have a savior. If you have to have a savior, you gotta look for one that showed up. It's not that Jesus is the best option, it's Jesus is the only option. The argument is much more practical. He's the way, not the best of many ways. He's just the only way. That's it. So we don't walk around arrogant and cocky. We walk in with humility going, guys, I know it is odd. Praise the Lord, God has made a way. We don't need to argue about what the way is. Do you have a sin problem? No, I don't got no sin problem. Well, I guess you don't need a Messiah. Bye-bye. Do you have a sin problem? Well, yes, I do. Well, I can tell you there's only been one sin remover that showed up, and that's Jesus. And it's always going to be just Jesus, right? This is powerful stuff, right? All right. It says this. What impacted the leaders the most, because look at verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Okay, that's called a Holy Spirit shutdown. Right? Why were they so amazed? Because what was coming out of their mouths didn't match the packaging. And they knew something weird was going on. How in the world did these guys who did not go to the universities, did not go to the rabbinic schools, as a matter of fact, if they would have looked deep enough, they would have found out they are fishermen. How in the world do two fishermen show up before the Sanhedrin Supreme Court Council and blow them out of the water? How did they start grabbing Old Testament messianic prophecies and connecting dots and moving and speaking with conviction and speaking with fire? That's not them. And then they went, you know the last person that did this to us? Man, it was that, oh shoot, they're Jesus guys. And they're like, I knew something was familiar. And that's how we should speak. When people hear us talk, they should go, that sounds like a Jesus person. They sound just like him, right? That's amazing, right? And so one side note about that. Remember, the glory rose the most because they were common. The more talented you are, the more degrees you have, the less glory God can get because people are impressed by you. You guys, I have enough degrees after my name to steal God's glory. That's messed up. Because here's the truth. If these guys would have rolled in super educated and they rolled in super eloquent and they rolled in all these different things, people would have said, wow, they're really good. 
and they wouldn't have looked past them to the real source. And Jesus would have got less glory. The next time you believe that you are not qualified to minister on God's behalf, you remember this. You are our only shot at giving God glory. You remember you are overqualified. Why? Because it was never you to begin with. It's always been him. So you aren't getting in his way. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. And this is what's incredible. It says, and they're looking at a guy standing there healed, and they don't have anything else to say. This is why I believe we need to mature in the areas of supernatural ministry and power evangelism. Why? Because sometimes God needs to flex. You understand what I'm talking about? Because here's the deal, they're not just talking. It can't just be talk. It can't just be more opinions. It can't just be more doctrinal. It has to be sometimes the power of God in the room. Something has got to say, I, you can argue with me all day long, what are you gonna do with this? We need that today just as much as they needed it then because this world is full of opinions and full of smart people. We need the heavens to come here. That's what we need, amen? Go to verse 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Okay, pause. Quick thought. They can't deny the miracle. And we go, wow, that's really, really cool. But then I was reading a commentary on this by F.F. Bruce, super brilliant guy. He said something I hadn't even considered. He said, it's probably more powerful what they didn't say. I was like, I don't know, what are you talking about? He said, notice right here is the perfect opportunity to embarrass Christians and shut them down. Just present the body. Right? They're arguing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You want to kill the movement, bring the body out. Show them that they're lying. Show everybody that they're bogus. But you can't do that, can you? because you don't have the body. You never did, because he got up and moved. Nobody's even arguing the resurrection right now. They're not even pushing back and saying, nah, Jesus isn't alive. They're not even arguing that. They're arguing something totally different. Why? Because they don't have a leg to stand on. That's power. We get verse 18, right? So they called them, and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you gotta be the judge, for we cannot, but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising Yahweh for what just happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Okay, interesting. Interesting. This is, here's what the disciples just said. They're like, hey, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. And they're like, hold up. Let me just, let me just for a moment push back on you and kind of give you a mirror. Do you know what you just asked us to do? You just said, we truly believe 
that God has done something in our midst that's undeniable. We believe that God has told us to say something. So let me push it back on you. If you were in our shoes, would you be comfortable denying God and following what people had to say? Because I don't think you would. Now, I can't answer for you, but I'm gonna tell you what we're gonna do. What we're gonna do is we have to talk about what we've seen and experienced. That's it. And what's interesting is this is where like a bunch of rebellious Christians love to grab this passage and we love the civil disobedience card, right? It's this whole idea, I follow God, not you, you know, that kind of thing, right? And we use it as a justification for all of our views. That's incorrect. There's only one place you can play it cleanly and that is Jesus Christ and the gospel. That's it. Now, outside of that, you may need to utilize it if it's an offshoot of that but you don't get to do it because you disagree with authority. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I'm a Christian, I can do whatever I want. That is actually not biblically true. So you don't get to pull the civil disobedience card and throw it down because you disagree with the governor. You have to literally figure out, are we talking about Jesus and are we talking about the gospel? That's where you drop that bomb. Otherwise, you actually have to argue in another way because you don't believe it's correct. Does that make sense? So it's not that you can't push back, but please don't drag God's name into it and start saying you have biblical reasons for why you're allowed to say whatever you wanna say. That's not appropriate. So as we wrap this up, take a look at this. They spoke by the Holy Spirit and thousands of people got saved the leaders of the, of the Jewish people got ministered to and they had a revival. What if you spoke by the Holy Spirit? Because I believe that's happening a lot. Every single time that you have answered a question but it was above your pay grade, and you were rather shocked by what you said, you were using the Holy Spirit's library. He was moving through you. Every single time your friend was hurting and afterwards said, that was exactly what I needed to hear. That wasn't you. You're using someone else's library because you didn't know exactly what they needed to hear. You're like, well, yeah, I did. I mean, I know him, and that came to mind. Hold on a second. When God consistently moves through you, you just think you're super smart. <laughs> Here's something interesting to me. So my job is operating in the prophetic. I come up here, and I'm preaching a message. You know what's super funny about it? It's because... A lot of times I like to go to church for the message. What does that mean? I'm just as shocked as you are. <laughs> I hear the sermon and I was like, oh, dang, amen, pastor. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shoot, that was me. That was weird. <laughs> because I'm learning right along with you guys, <laughs> right? Somebody will come out and I was like, oh, dang, never thought about that before, <laughs> right? Why? Because... Let me give you an example. I had a young lady, 12 years old, write me a question this week. And her name was Diana. And I don't know if I fully understood her question, 
but it was something like this. Uh, Pastor Lance, what do you, by the way, pastor was spelled with E-R. Pastor, it was so cute. Pastor Lance, what do you think about all these people coming to hear you talk? And people that you have gathered together that go to your church and not to other churches, and they're listening to you. That's it. And I was like, oh, shoot. I, don't, I think I'm going to be a deep question here, right? And so I answered it to the best of my ability, and here's what I told her. I said, Diana, here's the truth. It's super weird. And if I think about it too much, I'll freak out. So actually, the only reason why I have any peace at all is because I don't believe I'm sharing my opinion. I believe I'm sharing God's opinion. And the only reason why I don't freak out is because he's the one that asked me to do it in the first place. And if I truly thought I was sharing my opinion, I would quit. So Diana, let me be very clear. No, 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 I'm not comfortable at all. If that's what you're asking me. But there's nothing else I'm supposed to do. I'm just doing what he asked me. And this is my point. I know very well I'm talking over my pay grade. There are things happening in our midst that are not humanly generated. That gives me a belief that the Lord is in our midst. And that means we should keep doing it. Yeah. Amen? Praise God, yeah. <clears throat> All right, so I'm just gonna pray over us and we'll just close out. Man, I'm so glad that you're here. Once again, uh, I don't think it ultimately matters who wins the Super Bowl, but it does matter what you eat. Praise God. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your kindness and your love and, Lord, us being able to laugh and be a family together. That, God, that we're excited about where you're walking with us and where you're taking us and what you're telling us. So, Lord, we're going to submit to you. And, Lord, as we emerge from today, may we use our words for you. Holy Spirit, we submit our lips to you afresh, that what we would say would be what you say and not simply our own opinions. God, I just pray that you would purify the words coming out of our mouths, that, Lord, that you would purify the heart that they are generated in, that, Lord, that we would begin to give you the glory and credit whenever something comes out of our lips that's over our pay grade. I just pray, Lord, that you would be glorified more. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.